Well, good morning. It is an absolute gift that we gather. And um, I do want to thank you for your generosity. Last week, we just put a basket in the back for some friends. And I've never even met them personally, but in Christ, we're all together in family. And we have that church in Chauvin, Louisiana, that's um, been struggling, and their buildings were wiped out from Hurricane Ida. And I just threw a basket in the back, and you guys put $1,400 in it. And so we already sent that off, and um, they have it and are super excited to be able to provide basic needs for their community, not just for themselves, but they're like, hey, we're going to go buy water. We're going to go. They're super excited. I've received many texts already, so, um, and that's because the Lord put that on your heart. If he's continuing to do that, um, because the work now we know is just beginning down there, um, just put money in an envelope and stick it in the box back there and just write Louisiana if you can spell it. Um, however you spell it, we'll f- put crawfish on it and we'll f- figure it out. Okay. Yeah, it's very good. Absolute gift to be able to gather, especially in uncertain times, and we don't know when we're not going to be able to gather, whatever that means. Yeah. Brandon, your list was great this morning, and um, I was excited that uh, Krista had a word from the Lord today. And I wasn't surprised. I was excited. She was surprised. Um, But I just want you guys to know, as a church, as a follower of Jesus, you will receive from him. And he'll speak to you, and he'll give you words. And what I was sharing for our pre-service prayer time is, most of those words are for you, yes, but they're also for you to give away. And so what she was sharing this morning was something that God gave her, and then she's given away to you. So I hope you received it. I didn't open my eyes. I was just receiving during that time. But I had a bunch of verses on fear, not knowing that Brandon was going to do the song talking about, I'm no longer a slave to fear. We're not going to have time to read those this morning, but if, uh, if that really spoke to you and you're like, I need a verse that talks about fear and my hope in Jesus, um, raise your hand. I have five of them, Okay. I'm just going to bring it to you, but I don't have a mask on. Anybody else? And Doug wants one. So, Doug, I'm going to give you all five, but you have to write them down. <laughs> Are you typing back there? Yeah. I thought you were watching NASCAR. No, that was last night. Okay, all right. Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom Shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 46, 1 through 3. I'm not going to quote all these, by the way. Isaiah 41, 10 through 13. Joshua 1, 9. Anybody know Joshua 1, 9? Be strong and courageous, yeah. And Luke 14, 27. We don't have to be afraid. And as we are opening up into John and getting about halfway through, and we're getting to a pretty serious part. I mean, the whole Bible is serious, um, but we're getting to the point where Jesus is preparing his disciples like, this is really going to happen. What I've been talking about, what I've been spending three years with you and sharing with you, you're going to see in the next 24 hours, it all happened. And it is going to be difficult. It's going to be really hard. But Jesus is 
But I'm sharing these things so you'll remember that when you are feeling those hard, pressured places in your life, that you remember the words that I spoke, and it won't be so difficult. And so we're going to see this beautiful picture in John chapter 13, a picture that Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning. If you need a Bible, we do have Bibles in the back. I encourage you to actually have it in your hands and be able to turn the pages with me. Page 926, if you have a church Bible. And we're going to look at, there's going to be three kind of categories, three things that we're going to look at here. We're going to see God's perfect timing. We're going to see humility in action. And we're going to be challenged. So God's perfect timing, humility, and action, and we will be challenged. I hope we will be challenged. So to set this up, we, we know that Jesus has been with them for about three years. He's been pouring out his life to them, sharing with them, teaching them, giving them what they need, reminding them who they are and the promises that they have in their Heavenly Father. He's healed many. He's fed many. He's done um, all kinds of miraculous all around him. The latest one was Lazarus was raised from the dead. They have a big party. Mary anoints Jesus' feet with very expensive years' worth salary of perfume to prepare him for what was going to happen next. Because You know, when Jesus died on the cross, they took him down so quickly, they didn't have time to prepare his body for burial, and they just had to wrap him up and put him in there. And so this was like a prophetic thing that Mary was doing, and and I don't even know if she knew what she was doing, but Jesus knew what she was doing, and she was preparing him for what was going to happen next. And if you ever smell something so beautiful, you just like take it in, right? I remember when Albertsons was right here, and their chicken was so good. <laughs> and you would just get out of your car, and I think they like literally pumped it into the parking lot so you could smell it, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. And you can smell like, I'm buying chicken today. You didn't even know you were going to buy chicken. But it was just this fragrance, and it just smelled so good. And I just think for Jesus in that moment... Jesus knew it was going to be hard and difficult. That's why just hours after he gives these instructions, he is sweating blood because he's so stressed out. And, like, and he's asking his father, if there's any other way, I would love for you to do it. And as soon as he speaks those words, he just knows this is the only way. And so he does it. And I, I just imagine that as Jesus was going through that, it'd be neat to know in his, in his heart, in his human heart, that he could smell the fragrance. And it's right after that, it's like a day after, where Jesus goes out and he begins to share um, more with the crowd. And they're still divided. They're trying to figure out who he is. Many believe in him, but then many don't believe in him, and want him put away. And that's where we pick it up in John 13. And, and other gospels record a little bit more of, about 
the preparation of the Passover meal that Jesus is going to prepare, or Jesus is preparing with them and spending with them that night. But John just jumps right into it. No preparation. We don't know who's doing what. We don't know that the other disciples went ahead and found the place and established what was going to happen, and then Jesus and them showed up. They just jumped right in here. And so we're going to read a few verses this morning. John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to his Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. You capture that? That Jesus loves us to the end. And I think some of us, we get into those places where we're like, man, God, do you, you know what's going on? I'm not feeling it, you know. But Jesus loves us until the end. Verse 2, the evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. I want you to capture what's happening here. This is the Lord of the universe. This is the King of kings. And after, he poured, after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, you are going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter. You ever say that to God? You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, he said to Peter, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said not everyone was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master and no messenger greater than the one who has sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I mean, how many times have we read this passage? If you've been a believer, you've read this passage many times. You've heard many sermons over it. I'm sure I'm not going to say anything new uh, this morning, but I just hope that I'm a reminder that Jesus has set an example for us, and he says, now that you know these things. So here's the deal, accountability, church. When you leave this place, now you will know these things. And so now we will be accountable because Jesus says, now that you know these things, I want you to do them. And I just want to encourage you that sometimes if 
you feel stuck, or if you feel stuck like right now, and you're like, God, what am I supposed to do? Serve somebody. Serve somebody. Just recently, I had some people come, and uh, I just surprised to see them on a Thursday, and they were um, here cleaning the bathrooms at the church. It's a family that goes to church here. I'm like, well, that's unique. That's awesome. Someone actually is going to come to the church and clean our bathrooms, just besides Annie and me and Marcy and Krista. (laughs) I'm always cleaning the men's bathroom. Men, I haven't even had a conversation with you guys later, Um, but I'm always cleaning the men's bathroom. So it was just really cool to see somebody else coming and just like they just show up for an hour, go through, clean them, and they just smile and walk away. And I asked them, I said, you know, why are you doing this? This is really neat. And they said, you know what? We felt stuck in our walk with God. We didn't feel his, I think the word was, we didn't really feel his anointing like flowing through us like we have in the past. And we prayed about it, and the Lord said, go to the church and clean the bathrooms. To serve, they're serving us. And it opened up, it unplunged. Okay, using the bathroom term. The anointing, and they, it just immediately opened up and started flowing through them again. So I have a whole list for you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now you guys are all going to be fighting to clean the bathrooms. That's great. We'll take it. It's not about cleaning the bathrooms. It's about the heart to come and say, I need to serve As a follower of Jesus, it will be natural. Jesus said, no servant is greater than his master. And Jesus is our master. And he set the tone and became a servant to us. And so then that is our example, that we must serve one another. Okay, I'm getting into the challenge, truly, because that's point three this morning. Let's talk about God's perfect timing. So it is Passover time. It's their religious festival. It's a time where they set aside, where they remember what God had done. 1,500 years prior to this Passover meal was the very first Passover where the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt. And God had done all the plagues. And then plague number 10 was, was that the firstborn was going to be taken out across all of Egypt, unless you listened and obeyed what God had laid out for them to do. For those who listened, and then for those who obeyed, and it doesn't make sense in our minds, okay? In our culture right now, in our chicken nugget culture, I'll call it, that I'll eat a chicken nugget, don't tell me how it's made, okay? Right? I'll eat a hot dog, But if you've ever watched how a hot dog is made, you'll probably never eat one again. Sorry, Oscar Mayer. So we see this. It's been 1,500 years. And what God had told them to do was, you need to take a spotless lamb. Perfect. And you need to take its life as a sacrifice over your family. And then you take the blood of the lamb and you put it on the doorpost of your house. 
on the top and on the sides. So just draw the line. And when you put it on the top, it drips to the bottom. Draw the line. Put it on the top and on the sides, and it drips to the bottom. Perfect picture of what Jesus was going was to happen to the perfect Lamb of God. That's why Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God. John the Baptist points to Jesus. One of the first things John says about him is what? Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the picture of Passover. And that's what happened. Those who obeyed and listened, the angel of death passed through Egypt, and all the firstborns were taken out unless there was the blood of the Lamb on the door of their house. Now, again, in our mind today, it even seems harsh but I'm going to trust God's sovereignty there. And I'm going to just trust God. That's what you chose for them to do in that moment. It was perfect timing. And what happens to when God does something amazingly great and incredible, we want that all the time. So I imagine the following year, Passover, when they celebrated in the desert that it was still pretty precious, and it was pretty fresh in their memory. But I would say just over time, not so precious, not such a great memory. And after 40 years in the desert, after 100 years here, 200 years there, the freshness, I mean, after all, I wasn't even there. I didn't even know my great-great-great-grandpa. And so it almost just becomes, well, this is what we do. It becomes stale. And when Jesus shares with his disciples here just this freshness of like, wow, I've been doing this. They're saying to themselves, I've been doing this my whole life. I've never seen this before. You ever been to a Seder before, a Seder meal a Passover Seder meal. Pastor Steve does them, and when you see him do those, it's incredible when you see the picture, the imagery of that meal. And so that's what's happening here. 1,500 years later, Jesus is doing Passover meal, and we see that in verse 3. It says, Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew who he was and why he was here. I think that's one of our biggest questions as humans. Who am I and why am I here? And I think it's important to know the answer to that. I think God wants us to know the answer to that. So here's another homework assignment, Doug, as you take notes. We don't have time to do it today, but I encourage you to read Ephesians chapter 1. I was going to do it, but we're reading all kinds of scripture today. So I really, this is your homework assignment. Read Ephesians chapter 1. You want to know who you are and why you're here? Ephesians chapter 1, Paul just lays it out. That God chose you before the creation of the world and established your life. And that you have places in the heavenly realms. It's, 
you got to read it. Just read it. Ephesians chapter 1. And then it even rolls into Ephesians chapter 2. And then towards the middle of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, says, okay, so now this is who you are. This is why you're here. You are God's workmanship. This is who you are. But you are created in Christ to do good works, to do great and amazing things that God has already prepared for you. Do you realize that God already has things prepared for you? And so, like, my prayer all, all the time is, God, just reveal those things to me. Just show me those things that you've already prepared in advance for me to do. I think it's important that we know who we are and why we're here. And so that's why we have to go to this book. And that's why we have to go to him and ask. And he's faithful and he'll show us. Humility in action. But have you ever seen humility? Raise your hand if you've seen humility. Okay? A few of us? If you've seen... Raise your hand if you exhibit humility. Ah, you're all really smart. Nobody raised their hand for that. Because if you raise your hand, you're probably not being humble, right? But if you've seen humility, I mean, we've all, I mean, I think we've all seen it. And we really marvel at it. It's a special quality when we see some, someone acting or just living a life of humility. I'm not talking about humiliation. I think we've all been humiliated. And if you're watching the internet nowadays, the big humiliation thing is the, the milk crate challenge thing. You guys know what I'm talking about? Anybody seen those videos? Liberty, are you the only one in the room? Okay. Thank you, Jillian. Drew, you've seen the videos? Alvin and Alan? Okay. Is it just a young person thing? Josh? Okay, you're middle... Josh, you're almost middle-aged. Okay, hang on for a second, church. I got to contemplate my son being middle-aged. No, he's got long ways to go before middle-aged. But I know he's, he's the one that showed me this milk crate challenge, and it's, they stack up, you know those plastic milk crates? So they stack one, then they stack two. Ishmael, you follow me? You watch these, all right? Five? And they stack three. They're basically making a pyramid. And I think they get up to five, five or six. And then they go back down the other side. And they're not tied in or linked together. And then the challenge is, and Bob and Patty, please don't do this. Okay? Cindy? We'll have to buy you another one of those. You have to have two. Then the challenge is to walk up it. And walk down it. <laughs> That's exactly, who said that? That's exactly what I say. Why? <laughs> people are just doing this, and very few people make it. And most of the people that don't make it fall from the top because it collapses to the side. Now, I'm the type of person that I don't, <laughs> he's laughing right now. Look at that. He loves watching these things. Anybody love watching them? Drew? Come on. Hey, proudly raise your hand. We're not talking about humility right now. Proudly raise your hand if you like Eric. Thank you for being honest. Drew? Yes? Bill? Bill? Okay, Bill Collins. I'm finding out a whole new thing about it. I personally don't like, like, when a football, like when I'm watching a football game and somebody gets hurt, and they're like, hey, let's see that again. I'm like, no, I don't need to see that again. So I, won't, I literally won't watch it. So... 
I watched one. He showed it to me, and I was like, ooh, that guy. Is he alive after that? So I'm not talking about humiliation, because that's what those videos are. But I'm talking about true humility. And when we see it, we know it. And when it's given to us, when someone serves us with humility, we experience it. And we feel it. Because usually when that's happening, they're doing it out of such a pure and kind and loving and caring heart. When someone serves you that way, you feel that. That's why it's nice to go home and have your mom make you a sandwich. I can look at both my moms this morning. I mean, I go to Gretchen's house, and she makes me a bologna sandwich. Hasn't been for a while. I need to come over more often. With just like butter and mayonnaise on it. That's it. It's the best sandwich you ever eat. Now, I go home and make that same sandwich, and like, this tastes horrible. Because I'm like fixing it for myself. It's just something special when someone serves you with love and care. My mom makes me gumbo and puts it in this fancy Tupperware tub that says margarine on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because that's our Tupperware growing up. Our Tupperware was not Tupperware, it was margarine or yogurt, but it had something else inside. It was a surprise every single time. It was great. But when humility is done to us, we experience it when we feel it. We know it. And that's what is happening here. When we see Jesus, when he serves them, and when he serves us today, You feel it. You sense it. You experience it. And I have to ask. I just have to ask, church. This isn't even the challenge part, but I have to ask. Man, when people are around us, and when they look at the church, do they see humility? Does the world, when they look at the church... I'm not talking about look at RCC. I'm talking about the church. Do they see humility? And honestly, right now, I don't know how much humility they're seeing. Because I think sometimes we, we stick up these things to, hey, we're going to fight. We're going to fight. We're willing to fight. And there are times where we have to take a stand. But when we do take a stand, we need to do it in humility and in love and in care. We do. And there will be times and there are times where we need to take a stand. But it, it, it comes from the depths of our heart. And, I, and even when we stand, people need to be able to say, like, I don't agree with them, but, man, I can, I can tr- truly respect them. And I'm hoping that as we walk with him and as we experience true love and care from him, that we can be examples to those around us. Maybe some of us need to make a little adjustment when it comes to that. And so when you make, need to make an adjustment, if you're working around your house and like, oh, I need to fix this, I need to adjust this, we need our toolkit, well, I'll just point out your toolkit today. So just get in the Word. 
And I handed out verses earlier today just talking about fear. If you're struggling with fear, you need to make an adjustment. And how do you make that adjustment? You get the word of God in your heart and in your mind. And you spend time with God in prayer and allow the Holy Spirit to light those verses up in you and to make those verses come alive in you and so they drown out your thoughts, the world's thoughts, and everything else, and that you just are focused on God's thoughts. Because ultimately, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what the world thinks. It really matters what God thinks. And he has much to say about you and who you are. So again, you read Ephesians chapter 1. Humility. Do we capture this passage when Jesus actually gets up in verse 4? They're eating. He gets up. He had already taken the cup and said, this blood is for you when you drink. This bread is my body when you eat it. You know, he, he's already done all that. And after they're done, they're like, wow, I've never seen the Passover like this. Jesus gets up like, well, I wonder what Jesus is doing. He takes off his jacket, his outer clo- clothes, and he puts a towel on. Like, now they're like, man, what is Jesus doing here? And apparently, when they went into the room, it, I don't know if they were rushed or if nobody wanted to do the job. Now, remember, they went into a room. If we read the other Gospels, they went up into this room that was prepared. And a lot of times when you'd go, it'd be hosted by somebody. We don't know who it was hosted by. But apparently, nobody washed their feet. Now, you're walking around in Birkenstocks and sandals back then, right? Not Birkenstocks. Um, but you're walking around in sandals. It's, not, it's dirt, and you're dirty. And so one of the things when you come in, because when you sat down, you didn't have chairs to set up. You usually sat down, and so like you're sitting, and your feet are up, and then you're right next to somebody. So if you have a foot phobia, that's, a, that's an issue, right? And then you're eating, and you're literally like 15 inches away, 18 inches away from somebody's dirty feet. And so one of the things they do, they just wash, somebody's, wash your feet, sprinkle a little perfume on them, make them nice. And so then when you're eating, it's a little bit more pleasant than eating with stinky feet. And so apparently here, nobody had stepped up. I mean, you got 12 disciples there. They all sit down, and they, I, this is how my mind thinks. I, I look at the scripture, then why did Jesus have to do it? Yeah, he served them. And sometimes in our pride, I'm not doing that. That's somebody else's job. That's not in my job description. I'm not cleaning the bathrooms. So Jesus gets up, and he washes their feet. And how would you respond in that? It'd be unco- I think it'd be uncomfortable at first. Because here's the one that you have given your life to, to follow for three years, and he gets up and then begins to wash your feet. And he gets to Peter, and we know Peter. Peter gets a bad rap, but I think Peter is saying what others are afraid to say out loud. Because Peter is all about out loud. 
And so Jesus comes to Peter, and we don't know how many he'd washed before. Maybe it's he's the second one. We don't know. And Peter said, are you really going to wash my feet? And then spiritually, you can kind of get into this, what's happening here. Is Peter saying, oh, Jesus, I really, I'm, my feet are, oh, I'm good. I, I, yeah, I'm okay. And Jesus says, unless I wash your feet, you have no part in me. <laughs> spiritually, do we say that to Jesus? Hey, I'm, okay. I'm good. I'm doing all right. I don't need your presence. I don't need you. I can walk around. My feet are only partly dirty. Eric, you're worried about sin this morning? I'm going to make fun of you for a second. Okay? Okay? Awkwardly placed, but prophetic. Right? Prophetic. We see the cottonwood seeds even out here, it looks like it's snowing sometimes out there. And at first you're like, that's kind of cool. But if you're a few of us, you're like, all of a sudden, your sinuses, not cool, you know, not cool. And what the word was, that's like a representation of sin. And we kind of think like, ah, that's not bad. Oh, it's cute. It's cute. It even looks good at first but then it destroys us. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy us. But Jesus came to give us life. And how did he give us life? He gave up his life for us. There are no little sins. Jesus died for the big sins and the little sins. Can I just say Jesus died for Sin. Because in God's eyes, sin is sin. Because sin comes from the depths of our heart. Peter is saying, I'm okay. I don't need you to wash my feet. I don't need you to serve me. Jesus, I don't need you to die for me. I'll be okay, is what Peter's saying. And Jesus said, unless I die for you, you have no part of me. Unless I serve you. The picture of Jesus washing their feet is just an example of him being on the cross. Because Jesus served us when he died on the cross. So we would have life in him. So what I love about Peter is because he's so extreme. Jesus, no, you will not wash my feet. Jesus says, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. Okay, give me a bath. Wash my hands, wash my head, do it all. And then Jesus' response is, if you have already followed me, You've already had a bath. You're already clean. For those of us that follow Jesus, that I know it's a daily, every day, Jesus, I'm following you. But you know that time when you first said, hey, I'm going to follow you, and you make that decision to follow him, 
and you experience that cleanness. You guys tracking with me? The first time you said yes to Jesus, for me it was a process. But I remember when it was like, boom. I'd never felt that before. Like, I felt clean. I didn't have fear anymore. I can't even describe it. But I just felt, I felt right. Like, wow. But then you just keep walking in this world, and you step in stuff. Whether you step in it intentionally, which some of us do, little kid in mud puddles. We always tell them, stay out of the mud puddle. What do they do? Every kid in this world loves mud puddles. You know what I recommend as a parent? Let them play in the mud puddles. Yeah. But we sometimes intentionally step in stuff, and sometimes, most of the time, we unintentionally, or it gets just shoveled onto us because of the world that we live in. We don't have to get saved again, but we have to be washed clean again. We have to just have our feet cleaned a little bit. I was going to say cleats because I was at softball fields all day yesterday. We have to have our feet cleaned again. And so that's why we daily, and we should as believers in Jesus, as we follow him and spend time with him. I mean, I constantly, you guys hear me say this often, I tell this, 1 John 1.9 is like something I hang on to all the time. Because I know my God is faithful and he's just. And so if I have stepped in stuff, intentionally or unintentionally, I can come to God and say, look at my feet. I don't know how to clean them myself. And 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess that our feet are dirty, if we confess our sin, that he is faithful to you. And he's just because he's a God who believes in rightness. And he'll forgive us. And he'll cleanse us. He'll wash your feet again. And for me, it's like a daily, I'm just giving you a little insight on me. I pray that every day. Because I walk around sometimes in mud puddles. Not intentionally at times, but sometimes intentionally. And God is still faithful. Ephesians 1, once you read it, is still true. And so he'll cleanse, he'll wash, he'll, he'll make our feet clean again to keep walking. And so that's what we see happening here. Jesus cleans his disciples' feet. And he says, yeah, you have to come to me. You don't need a full bath again but you need to come to me and so I can wash your feet. So I can make you new again. Hmm. You know, the challenge to us is simply to do what Jesus did here. Jesus said in verse 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I'm going to read that again. Verse 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And then verse 17, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. 
So God's perfect timing, it was Passover time, and the Lamb of God is sharing about Passover and the ultimate Passover, that when we, as followers of Jesus, surrender our lives to him, that his blood, the Bible says that he shed his blood for us. And again, in our culture, in our time, that is hard for us to get our mind around. But it's what the word says. That sacrifice had to happen. And Jesus listened and obeyed his father and sacrificed himself for us. And he set the example for us. So the challenge we need to serve one another. How, can, how else can I say it? Let's serve one another, church. I'm not going to give you a list. I'm going to ask you as a follower of Jesus to pray and ask him to give you what you're supposed to do. Some of you are already doing it. Some of it's you're serving your family, and I hope you're serving your family. I hope you're fighting over who takes out the garbage. Take my glasses off so I can see who's doing that. And we really should be, honestly. I hope you're serving your neighbors. I'm hoping that you have involvement in your community. I'm hoping that you have a world vision. Not, I'm talk, not talking about a nonprofit co- company, but a vision of, man, God, what are you doing in our world? I know some of you are serving the Lord in other parts of our world, which is incredible. Has to be all of it, right? It starts in your home and then spreads. It should be, it should be like those little seeds, but in a good way. So that's the challenge is, is are we doing what Jesus has asked us to do? God's timing is perfect. Are we trusting God's timing for what is going on in our lives right now? And I'm not asking you and challenging you to do anything that I'm not doing myself. Are we trusting? Let's make it personal. Am I trusting God's timing and what he is doing in my life right now? It's been six weeks. I wasn't going to share this, but it's been six weeks since Cleo graduated to heaven, my wife. And I was sitting here early this morning, and out loud I was saying, God, I trust you. As I read through this, God, I trust you in what you're doing in my life right now, that your timing is perfect. And I might not always feel that, but I believe it. Is it hard? Yes. Was it hard for Jesus to do what he did? Yes. And what did he say in this passage? No servant is greater than his master. If Jesus suffered, here's the good news, church, we will too. But here's the great news. He is with us. He splits the sea so we can walk right through it. We walk in his perfect love, even in the difficult. Even in the difficult. And yeah, this week, my, my, my Tuesday, Wednesday was rough. Just being honest with you, being real for a moment. 
we had prayer and worship night Thursday night. And I'm like, God, how am I going to get up and worship you in my absolute brokenness? How do I sing these songs about healing, about restoration, about life, you know, all these things? And we sang the song, How Great Thou Art. And that's the song I played five or six times over and over and over as Cleo took her last breaths. And I made it through the whole song. And I was thinking to myself, wow, that's like really miraculous. And we're singing and we're worshiping. And I just heard those who had come. I think there's about 25 of us. And they just kept singing the chorus over and over. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to me. How great thou art. And they just kept singing it and singing it. And I pulled off the microphone and cried. Just hearing his saints, you, sing. And the Lord gave me a picture of Cleo. With her hands raised and worshiping in heaven. And the Lord said, she's worshiping me right here. <laughs> Sorry. She's worshiping me right here, and you're worshiping me right there. I'm still a good God, and she's okay. That's what I had wrestled with, you know, the last few, you know, few weeks. And the Lord was saying, she's okay. Now I have tears of joy and smile. It was, it was so good. And there was a breakthrough for me Thursday night as was with a bunch of people in the room, breakthrough. Because God does serve us and meet us where exactly where we're at. And he does that with humility. He does that gently by washing our feet. He doesn't stand us against the wall and fire hose us, which is what most of the time we want to do to people, Right? But he gently, man, this is the God of the universe who gently loves and cares for us and set the example that he, because nobody else did it, he got up and said, all right, I will get on my knees. I will serve you and set the tone for this is how you are to live. If you're going to follow me, this is how you are to live, and you need to serve one another. Does the world look at, let's be specific, Renton Christian Center and say, wow, simply that, wow. I pray they do. I pray they will. We're still here. God put it on the heart of somebody to put a roof on this place. We have a brand new roof, church. So that means he's not done with us. And we should feel challenged in our walk with him, especially in the days that we're living in now. Lord, how can I serve those around me? How can I do what you did? Let's pray together. You don't have to stand, but you can stand if you want, but you don't have to. God, you set the example for us, and we thank you that in your humility, you served us.
And so, Lord, in our humility, whatever we have, <laughs> Lord, that we would serve you. And we would serve those that you bring into our lives, Jesus. I pray that we'd be people of grace. Lord, I pray that you remove our judging eyes and glasses, the glasses that we wear that judge one another. And instead, we would serve one another. Lord, I pray that we would stand firm with you. But I pray that we do also do that with amazing grace, with incredible humility. I pray that you would challenge us this week. Lord, I pray that you'd remind us as we read Ephesians 1 who we are in you. And I pray that as we read Ephesians 2.10, that we'd be reminded why we're here. Because you have things for us to do. Fun things, yes, but also work things. Lord, we are thankful for your perfect timing. And so we pray, God, as you... As you're working in our lives, as you're doing things around us and in us, Lord, that we'd continue to look to you, that we'd seek your face, and your face would be all that we seek. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. Amen. Happy Sunday to you. Next week is the True North Kids Barbecue. Come hungry. Come hungry, okay? <laughs>